the Colonel. Floyd Gondoli. <laughs> great you could make. Great, great, great. How are you? Oh, you look happy? I'm fine. Me boys. Tommy, Pete. Me oh. girls. Cindy, Angie. Hi. Ooh. These are the next stars. Mm -hmm. These are the real people in the world. Ah. <clears throat> I think we ought to do that talk with Jack now. What do you say? Maybe iron this thing out before we start the new year? Hmm? Let's do it. Welcome back to the Rewire Movie Podcast. As we continue our review of Paul Thomas Anderson's 1997 film, Boogie Nights. When we left the gang, they were celebrating the end of a decade. Film is dead, video is the future. But things start to change in the 80s, right? Yeah, so when we, we arrive at, um, at the New Year's Eve party. And, and we, we get uh, a few important characters are introduced and also mm-hmm. uh, some important things transpire amber introduces dirk to drugs now what i found yeah. interesting and i wanted to talk to you about this was that uh so my girlfriend really took a dislike into amber at this point uh this was the yeah. moment where she was like no nah, don't like her and i still like amber or i've still got uh i still got empathy for her but i was you know it's her self-destructive kind of behavior mm. to do this we we see her do it later on with roller girl so she doesn't yep. she, same thing again she loses dirk through it and then she does the same thing with roller girl so it's like a pattern and i think that's yeah. that's again that's just tragic that she's stuck in this in this this you know this roundabout she, just doing the same yeah. thing over and over again and what's also interesting is when she takes dirk away it's implied but it's her dirk and jesse are having this conversation but it feels like there may be a connection there and that connection then yeah. is lost. But then she, then she sees Buck. <laughs> in this Dressed sense, as fucking he's Rick James. It's absolutely he's full, brilliant. He's full Rick James. It's <laughs> fucking couch. <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. You know, I was thinking about the, like, the framing of it is amazing as well. Just putting him there marooned in the in the middle of the frame with his <laughs> wig on just staring into the middle distance. And all the way he's just like, it's pretty original. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy with it. Oh, dear. So Amber takes yeah. Dirk away. Todd Parker, yeah. played by Thomas Jane, mm. is introduced. And he he's important to the story and where it's going to go. Um, and I like the way that, yeah, he's he's so good in this. But he's he's you know he's a scumbag straight away because he's already eyeing up Dirk's car. Like he I think yeah. he says to Reed, like oh, who's as a sports car in the driveway. You just immediately know that this guy yeah. is an opportunist. But again, he pulls up. He pulls up like the bad kid in school. Yeah, the yeah, he's influence. playing Fonz. He's the Fonz essentially, yeah. right? I mean, Fon- Fonzie was like 46 years old, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, but you know, he plays it. He plays it like a like fucking uh, like Ben Affleck in Dazed and Confused. He like does a, like a high like a high school bully because they're all because they're all they're all kids. Yeah, yeah. They're all You're... they have the emotional maturity of children. And then the other the other big thing that happens is that uh, Floyd, oh, what's his second mm. name? Oh, I forgot Gondoli. Gondoli, yes. Gondoli. He was a character from uh, from Hard Eight. Rolls up with his three his three horribly young, coked up 
kids who are his new yep. stars. So Floyd comes in and tells Jack about the future. And, and this mm. is important, right? Because he is essentially trying to help Jack. He's yep. also uh, another opportunist. But he is trying to explain to him that there's going to be technological advancements. Video is the future. Film is dead. And he and, and Jack needs to Jack needs to evolve. Amateurs. Yes, yeah. and this is this is Jack's hubris kicking in. He is like, nah, no chance. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Wait a minute. You come into my house, my party, to tell me about the future. That the future is tape, videotape, and not film. It is amateurs and not professionals. I'm a filmmaker. That's why I will never make a movie on videotape. I don't know whether it's a meta thing about the film industry. I think there's definitely something to be said. Do you think for it. there's a, you think mm. there's some, something in that? Well, if you think about the which filmmakers are out there that are still pushing for film as film, and Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the last yeah. men standing, yeah. as is Quentin Tarantino. Yes, indeed. Not only film, but um, Anderson shot um, The Master and Phantom Thread both on seventy. Mm-hmm. As and I mean, he wasn't. And Spielberg part of resisted for a long time, and yeah. then eventually, and he, he wasn't part of that crew. But he's he's the same age, roughly. Uh, Chris Nolan as well. I think there's definitely something to be said for like there's there's a little uh, whether I, I I don't know whether he wanted to foreground. He's he's never struck me as being particularly belligerent about it. He's he's never struck me as being one of those film purists. But he Tarantino's very outspoken about it, isn't he? But like, I mean, uh, yeah, I've I've never heard Paul Thomas Anderson be be any kind of purist, but he certainly expresses absolutely zero interest in shooting a, a film on video. I, I think he's I think he's throwing that in there. I think um certainly at that point in 1997, digital film isn't coming in to to destroy celluloid. This that no. discussion happened no. five, six, maybe even ten years later. It's the downfall of Jack at this point is that he's yep. holding on too tight. I think he says, you know, you're holding on too tight. And the way that they frame mm. Floyd is that they make him seem like he's sinister and bad. He's in shadow with a sort of side profile of his face. Yeah. Jack is is still king of the king of the castle, you know, behind his desk with his with his posters in the background and the colonel is still backing him up in the yep. in the in the background so he's still in a position of of strength at this point and it'll all tumble and spiral mm. out of control but um yeah this is this is his this is his big big moment of weakness is his hubris uh, so and then we have Philip Seymour Hoffman stealing the show yep as Scotty J who is another tragic character moment, right yeah. And it's his, it's his moment. He's he's seen something in Dirk. He loves Dirk, but everyone's drawn to Dirk. He's like the sun in this film, isn't he? All these characters sort of gravitate towards him. And you can imagine this in his mind as a character. This is the first person he's ever told, listen, Dirk, even though it's dead obvious. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm gay. And he just goes to kiss him. He's He's portraying it, again, very innocent, very young. He's not processing things. This is like, you know, this is his first, it's like a, a, a boy fumbling over his first crush, which is probably what this is. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you, Devlin. Yeah. Uh, so I have, not that I, not that I went out and kissed a bloke uh, that I loved, but I'll, I'll draw back to, and you, cause you're absolutely right. This scene uh, works for me so well because I see myself in Scotty J. 
I remember in my early, early teens, uh, there was a girl in my secondary school. I was like, I thought I was, I was in love with her. Absolutely, yeah. just I wasn't. I was like fourteen, but yeah. I thought I was in love with her. And uh, and I remember running from my house to her house, which was fucking miles away, just to give her this necklace that probably cost like five quid, and declare my love for her. And mm-hmm. I got rejected, like Scotty J. And that's what's so wonderful about Anderson's writing is that he is. I'm not from San Fernando Valley, but I can see myself in these characters and, and yeah. some of the things that they choose to do. And that's what, you know, this is this is why I was so inspired to be or to be to want to be a filmmaker was because I wanted to tell stories like this, yeah, about characters like this, and 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 try and evoke that same uh, that same response from an audience from something that I wrote or that something that I made. It's just so wonderful. And it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's so great in this. Yeah. And it's it's almost like a meme now, I would imagine, but you know, his his strength as an actor is is all in the choices he makes in this, yeah. this the one way, little moment. The way he collapses in his car afterwards. Oh, it's just oh it's so tears me up. Absolutely yeah. tears me up. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot! I'm a fucking idiot! Fucking idiot! Fucking idiot! Fucking idiot! It's all it's all tumbling yeah. down now, isn't it? Every the house of cards are all mm-hmm. starting to fall. Little Bill yeah. gets his gets his big tracking shot. So the the rule of three comes into play. So we've seen two pretty funny moments. This third one, it's kind of telegraphed, yeah. but it. We know what's going to happen. It's almost like um, it's almost like a horror film when you're when you know the kill's going to come and you're just waiting for it. And the way that yep. we so we I said before about the tracking shots that Anderson yeah. employs that they're motivated. Uh, they're motivated by character or they're motivated for us as the audience to. There's something that's telling us. Yeah, and it's and it's handheld as well. So it's like it's it's got that nervous energy around the edges it's not it's not like gliding steady camera it's not yes. that kind of beautiful slow dolly shot and he he walks into the door we don't know what he sees we imagine it which again feels like a horror film like oh wow is this like a gangbang all these horrible thoughts and this yeah. is where we really just see the kind of sadness of little bill and he just looks so beaten and dejected and he just walks off to his car and we follow him and this is this is this is pretty strong. He's got a strong will, Anderson, because at this point in the film, we're we're what like maybe like an hour and twenty minutes into the film, uh, something like that. Yeah, it's a hundred, um, hundred and ten minutes. He's got some serious conviction to 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 be able to say, well, this is how I'm going to cover this. Oh no, wait, sorry. Uh, yeah, you're story. right. It's it's ninety minutes in. We're an hour and a half. The exact. Yeah, I mean that's hour. crazy, right? And you would normally be like, well, come on, let's get moving. Okay, yeah. we know he's going to kill us, so let's just get her killed. No, no, no. This is this is symbolic, yeah. and the the symbolism is that little Bill's going to go off and kill a porn star, and mm-hmm. what happens to the porn industry at this point? It all starts collapsing. The yep. porn star is the thing that is being killed. Amateurs, not professionals. It's it's so wonderfully done, yeah. so wonderfully crafted. But and and he's introduced violence into what was previously this hermetically sealed little bubble and um, what's what's interesting is as we go along and it's a bit like goodfellas is that 
people love Gal- Goodfellas, mm-hmm. but actually the last 30 minutes of Goodfellas, it's kind of depressing and a little yeah. bit oppressive, and the mood is not all this joyous fun. Boogie Nights has got that same thing. And it's what I found interesting is when I spoke to my girlfriend after the film, I said, oh, did you enjoy it? And she, she said she enjoyed it. But she did say, oh, that second half did feel like it was dragging a bit. And I, I found that interesting because that she it, thought it was dragging. Is, it's, because because it's, it's, it's not sh- as fun. It's the, it's the shorter section by a, by a decent amount as well. And you know what's, what's kind of nuts is that um, because I, I did just write down some some little brief timings of like... In what I thought were important points. Um, uh, the time elapsed between uh, little Bill shooting his wife and then himself and uh, the, you know, the, the, the culmination of the most depressing section of the film. One, you know, once we get into the limo with Jack and Roller Girl and, and uh, Dirk's in the, in the parking lot, that's only 20 minutes long. Wow, that's a that's a hard crash. Yeah, from where we were at in the film, um, where those characters were in their lives. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just it's really really well done. It's um for t- for twenty seven years old, I'm I'm nothing but jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotta say, because yeah, because we get a, we get our on screen title now, and it says it just says the eighties. White, yes, white, and, white and we get this this doc we get this documentary, Devlin, mm, and yeah. um, it's one of those things where I so stylistically is he he's harkening back to to his documentary from ten years previous. Yes, we're also being told um, a little bit about his character. It's the first time we see some uh, sort of antagonism between him and Jack when he talks yeah. about his blocking. So there's a hint of kind of mm, okay, they're not quite uh, they're yeah. not quite working in tangent. And the, there. Pre- the previously adorable but, but actually, Landers movies are getting like more violent, more unpleasant. But but this feels a little bit a little bit self indulgent at this point. I, I actually wonder if they could have cut this down even further. This this documentary, but I, I was interested to know what you thought. Yeah, I think it's a smart choice um, to have. Amber create an in-movie documentary because um, you you get not only um, to hear from the characters which are which are the subjects of the documentary, but you also hear from Amber. She's editorializing this section of the film for us, so she involves us. So that you know the the way she indulges. Dirk's interviews and the way she cuts and the way she fawns over him in the um, in the voiceover narration. I found that I just yeah I found that really efficient. We we then get after the documentary Devlin. Yeah. For me, Bert Bert Reynolds. Yeah. Best scene in the film. Uh, he's and it's all done with looks and gestures. Mm. Uh, the colonel's been caught. Yeah. It's it's. We we've hinted at it, but because it was in this the playful mood uh, of the pool party, we kind of you don't even give it a pass. You know it's happened, but because the film didn't really pay too much attention to it, ne- nor do we. But then, when the colonel's in jail, we know we know why. Oh, Jack! Oh, God. You, did, you, you thought she was older. You, you didn't do anything. She was just at the 
She was at your place. You were just you didn't do anything, right? Right. Nothing. You didn't do anything to her. Not a thing. You know me, Jack. I didn't do a thing. You didn't do anything. No, I didn't do anything. All right, nothing. And um, it's this is just some solid yeah. acting. It's just from from it's both just of them. really from both of them. Yeah, the bit where the phone cuts out. Yeah, really, Bert, really. Bill Reynolds' reaction. Really great choice on that because it's it, and it's so it's so hard to yeah. watch when he's like, "You stole my friend, Jack." And I just loved the way that Bert Reynolds looks at him, and it, he looks down, and he's like, he knows he's going to have to abandon. Like, no, you're not my friend anymore. Yeah. You've, you've crossed the line. He's almost trying to convince himself as well when he's like, but you didn't touch him. Yeah. You didn't You didn't do anything. I think that's what he's saying. He's like, you didn't do anything. Yeah. And then from, from there, you, you go to a wedding, which should be super joyful, but it gets very quickly undercut because uh, Jack has discovered his new boy, Johnny Doe. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it gets so efficient at this point. That scene, that big, that big Dutch wide angle from like behind, from the side of the table, and you have you have Jack and you have Johnny and you have um, Dirk standing over them, and I mean, it's the the entire table is bathed in red light with these little like slightly sickly green rim lights on everyone, and you know. Dirk has to sit there and watch himself essentially being replaced. Well, Jack's surviving. Yeah. So he's lost the colonel. So we know he's lost the colonel. So he's now recruiting the new talent, which is these amateurs. Dirk's soon to be the past. Yeah. And Jack's now accepted the future. Because from there, drugs really takes over this film. The editing in this film is just phenomenal. Because the the first section, which is all joyful is done in these long long takes but they but the cuts are are really deliberate and really purposeful and then in the second part it's it's edited just it's a rush yeah. no one's thinking dirk's not thinking we're in we're inside his head almost yeah. as as this thing just explodes and and we have another another sequence of um of dirk looking at himself in the mirror seems like we you know yeah was it uh was it um Donald uh, Donald Kaufman says in adaptation? <laughs> you know, he's, he's talking about like the mirror motif, <laughs> but it is you know, uh, it's it's the um it's the three parts of the mirror isn't it? <laughs> signifying the three aspects of the character. In uh, I was the we're gonna we're gonna have to do oh, adaptation because we keep referring to um, uh, yeah it's bad it's yeah. brilliant but you know it is a is a recurring motif every time uh, uh, Eddie slash Dirk he has to he has to compose he has to look at himself he reflects upon himself and and this is the the last big blow up with Jack which is you know he's he's got that weird ratty little white headband on. He just looks like so sweaty and pallid, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and you have that kind of horrible sequence of him begging his penis to work. I love um, it's the, I love watching this again. The uh, the supporting characters in yeah. the background and their reactions because it's it's telling you everything you need to know. You know, Scotty J is almost like covering his mm-hmm. eyes. Um, Amber just looks. 
you know, she's, she looks absolutely devastated when yeah. Duke just says, you're not my mom, you're not my fucking mom. And, um, and uh, the way and that... Reed has to go chase This is like a father and son argument that you would have, yeah. right? So Jack is the patriarch, mm-hmm. Dirk is the son, and and at this point, he is challenging his yeah, authority. Yeah, like the, the prodigal son thing, He right? tries his best. He does try his best. He's like, no, 20 minutes, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And then as soon as he, he sort of crosses the line, that's yeah. it. Jack just kicks off. If we want to go back to, like, you know, all stories have been told before. This is this is your prodigal son story. This is your challenge challenging the, the father for dominance. Do we pretty much cut straight to Dirk's gonna Dirk's gonna go into which, which is uh, <laughs> which I I found out from watching the the old short film. This this was in the short that he made when he was seventeen. Oh wow! Exactly exactly That's the same amazing. thing. Dirk Diggler singing the touch. Dirk Diggler demo. You got the touch. Take seven. You got the touch. You got the power. After all is said and done, you never walk. You never run. The the one special thing is highlighted here, isn't it? Dirk has got fucking zero talent in singing. And this is where Mark Wahlberg gets a lot of credit for from me because he he is committed yeah. to singing terribly and making himself look like a fool. And it's just love the <laughs> feel, 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 I feel, feel, feel. Feel my heat, feel my heat. Can we get one more of that? Feel my heat. Yeah. Hey, did you lay that down? We were rolling at the rehearsal. The demise of all these characters. You know, Jack doesn't give a shit. Floyd sat in the background whilst he's just like, you know, do you want me to do anal? Ah, whatever. Uh, Roller Girl and Amber are are just sniffing drugs. Yeah, the the awful kind of uncomfortable, um, I'm going to just say, are you my mom? And it's, yeah. Everyone's, like you say, it becomes fractured it's, and shattered everyone's the, unraveling the, the editing becomes frantic and 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 it's it's this is probably why you know like we were saying like it's a short sequence that feels a lot longer than the hour and a half that preceded it but it's because they're putting you they're putting you through the ringer you... and, and book and jesse are now together he's applying for a loan who's who, who's the uh the guy in the bank it's only the fucking announcer from wayne's world <laughs> And with him, as always, is I knew, I knew I recognized him. <laughs> I knew I recognized him. Party on, Wayne. And party on, Garth. That guy. <laughs> That's the two things he's been in. Which is, uh, to be fair, it's not a bad resume, is it? No, he's done well. He's done yeah. well. We just get, we only get one shot of Jack throughout this, which is just him walking kind of sadly through a warehouse of VHS tapes. Yeah, well, he's just like, uh, I think it's uh, Kurt is editing. He just says... It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you've ever heard of a more kind of diplomatic way of saying it's shit. Everyone's doing doing the drugs. You know, even Reed's doing the drugs. Scotty J is just in the background. Yeah, It's all unraveling. And and, and Todd's the one who's just, he's just the drug dealer. I love that shot. You know that repeated shot of him coming, coming home like three times with the baggie? The Amber Roller Girl interaction is... 
is probably the the most tragic in this sequence yeah. of. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a it's a montage essentially of. Yeah. And um, the music is is this kind of the tempo of the music. It's not. It's not rhythmic. Well, it is rhythmic, but it's it's scattered, it's like you dis- said. It's, it's all discord. And it feels like it's all over the place. It feels like uh, musicians that are just jamming. I love you, Mom. I want you to be my mom, Amber. Are you my mom? I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you if you're my mom, okay? And, and you say yes, okay? Are you my mom? Yes, buddy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and then, and then we get an abrupt uh, cut. And again, this is like a P.T. Anderson staple, or at least it was in kind of the the earlier, certainly the first kind of three or four films of um, utilizing on-screen text and on-screen titles in really unusual ways. So far, we've had the title of the film, mm. and then the words "the '80s," and then nothing until a very specific date, which is. Uh, before we go into the um, the custody hearing with Amber, which has uh, just a great, very simple, very very stripped back scene of you know again outside we're outside the bubble and we see how the rest of the world interacts with these people and the answer is not well. No, yeah, it's all judgment. The bank manager yeah. judges book. Amber is being judged literally by a judge who was a former porn star, which is yeah, got itself a uh, nice bit I of irony. You've got Ray, yeah, you've got Reagan yeah. and Nixon in the background in these like big, huge posters just lurking over. But this is where Julianne Moore is great, and again, she doesn't have too many scenes of expository dialogue. It's all done through her internalizing, and then this is her moment of externalizing, and just watching her outside the courtroom, leant against the wall after the decision, crying. It's, yeah. It's not fun, yeah. is is the, the, the thing about this, these entire, all these things that are happening to these characters that we love, is that it isn't fun, but God damn it, it's, it's, it's dramatic. The flips, it's the flip side of how kind of, yeah, of how warmly empathetic he is towards them in the, in the opening scene, and how much, uh, how generous he is to his characters and how indulgent he is and how much he, he allows you to feel for them. And then when, when they get put through the ringer, that's the flip side of it. You care. And thus it mm-hmm. is horrible because. Yeah. And we've seen this and he's evolved as a filmmaker. He's, he's, he's gotten better at it where it's now far more yeah. ambiguous. You know, there will be blood. He does the same thing. Uh, the master, if you've seen the master, yeah. I think it's fucking brilliant. Uh, he does the same thing. It's these character studies, you know, less about story, yeah. more about character. That's what he cares about. And, you know, the moment that it really does hit home is when the original, so all the music's yeah. taken away and it's stripped back. And then Jackson the limo yeah. exploiting Roller Girl, he's trying it. And he looks so uncomfortable. Mm. Burt Reynolds plays it so well. He, he looks like someone who doesn't feel yeah. comfortable in front of the camera. Live, right right here on videotape. You recognize Roller Girl from her films? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we watch her films a lot at my uh, at my frat house. I go to uh, I go to CSUN. Wonderful. Yeah, fucking guys never believe this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we've done a whole bunch of films together. Roller Girl. Do you remember me? <clears throat> we went to school together. Your name's Brandy, right? 
Brandy? Brandy's your name. Yeah, it's it's yeah, he he yeah. doesn't look comfortable. She doesn't look comfortable. But we're not comfortable because we've got this Yeah, these which bells. are from uh, which are from It's Hard almost Eight. like a bell, right? This is it's recycled squad from Hard Eight. And you know how I was saying that there was a date marked before Amber goes into the courtroom. There's a second date. Yes. Again, it's straight uh, after December what is it? 11th, 1983. Which yes, you're right. You're right. My brother's second birthday. So happy <laughs> oh, birthday, God. Dan! Um, is the most oh, depressing dear. scene in the film. <laughs> so Dirk's gone full circle. He's yeah. soliciting himself now again for uh, for hand jobs and yeah, and he's and in the, some the, park. The, the framing and the lighting in that scene if I may be permitted to geek out a little bit, just very briefly. By all means, my man. There have been a lot of um, close-ups in profile throughout the film, and also, I guess, throughout a lot of P.T. Anderson's stuff. He likes arranging people in profile, but I think it makes so much sense when we're look- when we're in a truck. I've always thought that when you're filming in cars, every time they shoot through the windscreen, it's, it's an unnatural scene, because who the fuck is ever looking through a windscreen? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a mad angle, so it makes so much sense to place the camera out of the thing and through the um through the driver's side window. So you've got that that guy sitting closest to us in the camera, and you've got Dirk like huddled in the passenger seat, um, and and it's completely stock still shot from what I remember. Yes. Certainly, the majority of it plays out in just, in just no, no, a, yeah, it's all it's all just a lot, uh, so still a lot still framed shot. And what they what they've done is they've they've dropped a, a a key light through the back window of the truck and bounced it off the rear view mirror uh, across Dirk's face. There's like a diagonal yes. slash of light, which is again that's like old Hollywood shit. Whenever you wanted to do your um, your glamour close up, usually on a on a on an actress, you would have like a letterbox light going across the eyes, but it's also used in um, do you ever see Black Narcissus? The, uh, yes, Paul I have seen movie? it. You know, there's yes. a lot of the same thing in that, right? There's like uh, Jack Cardiff uses those those hot lights across the eyes of the actresses, and because you know all the the nuns are going mad on mm-hmm. a mountain. Yeah, so I just I, I found that fascinating, and especially that they put a skewed diagonal across his face, and it highlights just how pallid and how kind of sweaty and pale he's. Become. Well, they also used it a lot in. Uh, do you remember Billy Bob Thornton in? Um... Is it the man who knew too little? Or yes, yes. They also used it a lot in that film. You know, again, a film that's um, that's explicitly referencing to... like nineteen fifties yeah. cinema, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot of him in the car and the um, the key lights on his eyes, de- depending on where he is in the story. And we're not going to give that Shit. one away. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, they yeah. use that a lot as well. But this is all this is all the downfall. Roller girls. Uh, about to have sex with the the boy mm. from the right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, so if you blinked and missed that, that's why she's you know again Heather Graham's great in this. She's just yeah. she doesn't have a lot to do, but with what she does, she really does knock it out of the park. But then when Roller Girl just says no and kicks the guy out, and this is where again there's judgment, and this is the thing that really gets Jack up because he's a he's a creator. He's he's. Yeah. He's the patriarch of this pseudo family, but he's also the creative head of this industry that we've seen. And when 
this kid just says, "Oh, your movies suck now as well." Yeah, and he just it's weird flips. that that's like, that's the thing that gets that's him. the thing that gets him. He's, yeah, it's, um... because because really, again, like we talked about it right at the beginning of the film with his interactions with uh, with Eddie Adams when he's trying to um, proposition it. We really shouldn't like Jack at all because yeah. he's just used uh, again to forward his own his own art. Yeah. And and previously, you know, when they were making films as films and it was fun, you kind of, you got the impression that everyone was being afforded a certain kind of dignity. And this is just, this has none of that. It's just a complete, it's like, it's depressing. It's like prostitution, basically. It's like. Yes, yes. Well, this is the moment where they, it's not that that Anderson's judging them, but, but the way that he, the way that this is told is that now we are looking at these characters thinking like what are you doing like yeah. we didn't we had no issue with them doing the porn films but this don't do this you know we're now yeah. looking at on them um not negatively because the world is is hitting them you know Dirk gets the shit kicked out of him this guy yeah. abuses roller girl abuses jack and at this point we really like them so we don't perceive them in a negative light but if this were the start of the film, we wouldn't like these characters at all. And the way that she reacts when she's just like, don't you ever fucking disrespect me. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is her one moment of outpouring. Like, all that angst, all that kind of hatred. And, yeah. You know, we and, get, we don't really get a backstory for Roller Girl, yeah, but this is as close as we get to we it. We don't know what she went through before she was, before she appeared as the sunny, roller skating, naive who was you know nope but you i mean you, you don't get the impression you get a glimpse you don't get the impression that yeah. it's happy and especially the fact that she's roller girl and the fact that he knows her real name and that he says it and that he brings all that past back to her and it's clearly like what we said like you know they've run away to the circus and they've all run away yeah. to the circus for a reason you don't ever disrespect me And that kind of is brutal. And that's when you get the um so I know that that um we've already mentioned this and that you wanted to to definitely get into this um this kind of proto Magnolia esque the the stories all converge in one uh, geographical location very quickly in that the, the, mm-hmm. the three trucks that have beat Dirk up, they drive off and the limo passes at the exact same time that Buck pulls into a donut shop just over the road. So we have all yep. these all these stories of like the, the lowest, lowest point for all of our characters converge at this same geographical location. And then we have Buck, who, as you mentioned, is a guy who has not been seen actually engaging in being a porn performer. He's our confused, muddled would-be cowboy slash rick james and dressed all in white though now yeah with his now heavily pregnant wife so yeah um i'd I'd like to get your takes on the scene first so my take is that it's wonderfully constructed yeah it's beautifully told beautifully paced um 
it's it's one of those moments of um, I'm not going to say serendipity, but it's that that whole idea that Buck's desire is he needs money uh, to open up his store. Mm-hmm. Bank says no. Um, we feel bad for him. We know he's got a pregnant wife now, and he's just in this donut shop trying to just get some food for his pregnant wife. Someone comes in, robs it. This feels like, like you said, this this whole random life. How random it is now in Magnolia. That feels that feels right to me. That feels it's like, like the central the, thesis of the, the, the correct film, choice. It? It's the central premise of the film. In Boogie Nights, this feels like an audition for Magnolia, but doesn't really feel right for this film. Right. And the only way that I could, the only way that I could derive meaning is that because Buck's ambitions are so real and everyone else's are so extraordinary, and actually the things that they go through, and this is a, a, in direct contrast to what Dirk goes through in the next scene, this feels like it's filmic. Feels like the filmmaker right, yeah, influencing the story that's being told, mm. and the story that's being told feels like real characters in real events. And this is the one moment that that I think they he breaks that, and it's nothing to do with does it work, does it not work? Because I think it does work, but I don't think it works in the context of this film. I think this scene was in Magnolia, then it'd be fine. I wish that he could have found a, another device to get book the money. Mm. Yeah, you talk about the way everyone kind of pinballs shots at each other and everyone but Buck dies. And then it feels... It just feels like it was, it's, it was something that would have been in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I was also thinking like um, like some of the uh, like some of the more kind of deadpan but blackly comic Coen Brothers stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is a case of, you know, We've got a, we've got a young guy still working, you know, uh, for as monumental an achievement. Oh, as, listen, as a lot yeah, don't get me wrong. Is. I am I'm not criticizing yeah. uh, the scene. But yeah, it's, it's, I'm just saying it's, that uh, this is the one moment where I felt like the filmmaker's influence. Yeah. In the story, when he, the whole story yeah. felt really organic, this is the one moment where I was like, "This doesn't feel organic. This doesn't feel natural." Yeah. In the context of I, this yeah, film. I get that. I think um the the choice of like s- swooping buck in at this point what what really works about it is that because he is such a you know at this point if you wanted to get a like a huge negative reaction from an audience and you wanted to absolutely devastate them you would kill like the you know the sweet naive guy with the heavily pregnant wife who's finally finding some happiness and just can't catch a break. And when I was watching this this weekend um, with my girlfriend and she hadn't seen it in a long time, uh, she was unbelievably tense at this point because we've had two escalating examples of like the beating that Dirk takes is vicious. The beating that Jack and Roller Girl lay on that guy is even worse, and now we've and now we've dropped, you know, and that like you say that belt hole just keeps going. Yeah, it's just it's relentless. Um, you're right. Yeah. Maybe it is just a, a moment of catharsis of just like release. Mm. Uh, and I think maybe you could be you could be absolutely on the money. Um, 
I've also seen this Bernie. film about five times. So it's one of those things where if I'd watched it, the bit, I, I, it's difficult to put yourself in that position yeah. of watching the film for the first time because you you can never get that back. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the fact that it gets resolved, that it gets resolved with a you know a wacky accidental multiple shooting, it does dispatch it. It dispatches that tension quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then it, uh, it it leads us to probably my favourite scene, probably the most <laughs> iconic scene. Yeah, well, I definitely Certainly. definitely the most uh, one of the most memorable scenes because, and we've already talked before, like I've just mentioned it in that previous scene about you know is this Anderson almost showing off, but but giving us really as a as a filmmaker. This is this is like this is what I can do. And yeah. this scene is a cauldron of tension and an incredible, incredible set. It's piece. but it's it's done in such an innovative way. Like the yeah. music, the character, Alfred Molina yeah. is playing a he's like on he's he's on all on all sorts of stuff and he's like heroin, yeah. coke. Well, he's he's uh he's based on a this is based on the the Wonderland based murders, on the, right? the Wonderland murders, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. So um, he he's playing a, a real life guy. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, In this, he's named Rahad. Uh, yeah, Rahad Jackson. Yes, that's it. Right. Um, yeah, don't. Uh, I know that there's the the what's his name, the Val Kilmer movie about the Wonderland killings. I've not seen it. it it's it, rubbish. It looks, okay. <laughs> it it looked like because because there there were a few kind of post Boogie Night films where they were everything that you were worried about Boogie Nights being. I'm thinking also there was uh, the Linda Lovelace movie. Oh, God, um, yeah, yeah. These, 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 you, know what, you, know what the, you know what the difference is? You know what we mentioned before about the costumes? Is mm-hmm. that those films feel like actors in dress-up, and this film feels like characters. Um, that, that, yes. know, we don't look at it as, oh, that's Mark Wahlberg. Maybe you do now. I don't yeah. know if an audience in 2018 who've never seen this film might go, oh, that's Mark Wahlberg. But no, he's Dirt Diggler in this film. Yeah. John C. Riley is Reed Rothschild. The problem also, with um, uh, Wonderland I think like, with Val Kilmer is it, they mm. are basically playing dress up, uh, yeah. and the sensibilities of it is rubbish. Also, they're, they're they're trying to go for um, the true story of what really happened. It's like nobody gives a story shit. Story as metaphor for life. I want to see films. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm here for. I mean, what, what we've got here is a is is an amazing. He's taken he's taken what what he wanted and what he needed to take from from a true story and he's mixed things up and he's he's thrown autobiography and he's thrown other bits and pieces and then i think you can get to the truth of of something far easier if you can access everything available to you, you have to stick slavishly to, to some story like real life is 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 messy and weird and doesn't conform to narrative arcs and you have to take into account people's sensibilities and and people's uh recollections of events and yeah why not just sidestep it and just kind of uh, approach it from a from a diagonal which which he does here so so we get into uh, this scene though so it's it's wonderful right we've got we've got the music in the background which i think when they walk in is sister christian um Uh (laughs) which is uh, absolutely amazing and then Avril Molina is fucking wired he's as hell. on he's he absolutely is, he's on so on it it's great there's a little chinese uh sort of fuckboy throwing around these 
these firecrackers, which is just yeah. amazing because this is again, this is all set up. Uh, Todd Parker being the, the druggie and drug dealer that he is, has got this mm. terrible plan of just selling uh, selling this rich, weird uh, bloke. He wants to sell him a, baking a, a soda. Key of, uh, yeah, a key of baking soda. And 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 Dirk and, and Reed, this is this is their lowest ebb, and this is the moment of realization for uh, for Dirk Diggler that uh, shot, and Reed Rothrock. That shot of Mark Wahlberg, like when they get inside, and yeah. I mean the the whole it's scene act, kind he's, of he's acting again. We've you know we've talked about it a little bit in this episode, but, but yeah. he is a he is genuinely acting. There's he's going through his entire shot. range of just he doesn't understand what's going on. He's trying yeah. to compute. And then he but, gets yeah, when a you, moment. When you see him just of... kind of lock in, and he's just staring, and that like four or five fleeting expressions cross his face, and you can see John C. Riley, the like a panicked John C. Riley, the sliver of him just filling like the right hand side of the frame, um, and the sound design just kind of locks in on him. It's yeah. For those that have not seen the film. Uh, but love Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't realize this, but uh, Alvin Molina's character has got an awesome mixtape. But obviously, in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks, which is hugely popular, yeah. um, uh, Star Lord, that character has a mixtape, and they are inadvertently or or advertently um, referencing a, a violent. A violent weirdo drug dealer. Yeah, but it's fucking great. And then yeah. when Jesse's girl by Rick Springfield comes on. My friend Rick dancing around. Oh, and he's like, he's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Alpha Valila is so, so good. So if you've only ever seen him in Spider-Man 2, what are you doing? Get Boogie Nights on and watch him in this film. Jesse is a friend. Yeah, I know he's been a good friend of mine. And then go watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, for fuck's sake. Yes, and then go watch Raiders. God, what are you doing? And if you want to, by all means, watch Da Vinci Code, but it's it's terrible. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's amazing. It's like, this is is such a great scene. I don't think he's about to test the baking soda, so they're going to get found out. But, but you know, they've handed them the cash, and and they're saying like... Yes, yes, and that's when he he just steps up and says, oh, sir, we've got to go, we've got to go. And then that cut to Tom, Tom Jane. Tom Tom's Jane has um, this is his moment to shine. Yeah. He is so twitchy, and when he does that laugh, when he's just yeah. like <laughs> he can't stop laughing at the firecrackers. And then yeah, then he he starts talking about the goddamn floor safe. And, yep, and you find and he's after he's after money in the safe. You find out that he's just come in there with the intention to perform what can only be described as a, horref- a horrifically. Uh, underplanned <laughs> home robbery. Hey, 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 hey. We want something else from you. What? 
Todd, what the hell are you doing, man? Let's just go. In the master bedroom, under the bed, in a floor safe. Understand? What the fuck is the matter with you, Todd? Let's go. Hot. Come on, man. Shut up, Dirk. I, I told you I got a plan. I got a very good plan. Are you, are you kidding me, kid? Nah, nah, see? I'm not kidding. I want what's in the safe. We want what is in the goddamn safe, in the goddamn master bedroom, in a fucking floor, on the goddamn fucking floor safe. That's all. Tough. Don't be crazy, okay? Sir, you don't know anything about this, okay? This is not at all what we wanted. Shut the fuck up, sir. Do not reach for your gun, man. Don't reach for your gun. Yeah, no, on a terribly violent drug, drug guy. I mean, we don't know yeah, anything about... he's no about, joker, is he? We don't know anything about Rahad Jackson, except that... Except what we see of him, which is that it is, he is <laughs> mad as fuck. Yeah, um, he's... Um, he's... What is he? Uh, he's as mad as a bag of chips. He's absolutely nuts. Yeah. And um, and then he so he runs off into the room when Thomas Jane kills the bodyguard. And then they try and they try and stop him. They're like, no, Todd, no, no, yeah. no. He goes to the door. Boom, he gets shot. And then during '99 balloons, <laughs> nine and nine six. Which again, it's, it's like these again. It's these musical choices, right? So P.T. Anderson is picking these like wonderfully joyous 80s pop tracks juxtapose them with just this horrific violence and overdose of drugs and this crescendo yeah. of just madness and tension undercut by Jesse's Girl and 99 Balloons. I love the way that, well, I don't even love it. I kind of wonder what happened to Reed. Reed runs off into the bushes. Which just makes me think, for some reason now, it just makes me think of super bad. <laughs> you think that's what happened to him? He just... just just walked yeah. through LA for fucking ages until he got himself to a Mexican party where some woman bled on his knee. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. But no, uh, it, and and this is the moment when the prodigal yeah. son re- returns. Yeah, and it's and yeah. and that is what it is. He just goes back and he just he just begs for help. He realizes that he should, that he should never. Have His left. sincerity is the reason why Jack just takes him in without yeah. question. He's, Jack, could you please help me? I'm sorry, Jack. Jack just embraces him yeah. immediately. He just forgives him straight away, and uh, and the the pseudo family is. Mm. And we have and is, we have the return is, to the warming to... again. The same music that that we started out with, that that kind of sad. Oh no no, you forget first, mate. There's another montage where oh. we get to see all the all the characters. Don't don't Sorry. deny them their moments to, right, to shine yeah. in the sun. We've got um, the Beach Boys. God only knows. That's wonderful, right. wonderful yeah, track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 one of the things that I love about this soundtrack is that not all the not all the songs, but this one in particular. This is the film that I think of. Yeah. I think of Boogie Nights. Um, I don't know why. I guess it is because we're at the end of this film and these characters that are, are now so beloved in my mind, and we have this wonderful music that kind of lifts. I mean, when, when we were the whole, like the whole film, when we were the sort of age that we were when we came when we came to this film, you know, very very late teens. Or in, in well, I probably not even listened to Pet Sounds at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like this is 
this is where you discover this stuff. You know, like how I, I mean, I'd never heard Jumpin' Jack Flash before I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like a lot of this classic. Uh, it's Mean Streets for me on that one, buddy. Yeah, uh, see, I saw yeah, yeah but I know for you it's Fear and Loathing. Okay. So God only knows. And then we see Buck and his, <laughs> he's, he's changed <laughs> identity again. He, he's gone all run DMC. <laughs> Did I hear someone say deal? This weekend, and this weekend only, Buck Super Cool Stereo Store is making super cool deals on all name brands. We're open, we're ready. All you need to do is walk over, get down, and come inside us. Word. Hi. But I love the way that Amber's the one that's directing the yeah. advert. Scotty J's there. And the cue cards. Kurt's there, the cameraman. You know, it's, 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 it's everyone's back. The gang are back, yeah. you know. Um, roller girls in school. She's she's going back and studying again. It, it looks like a like a community college, you know, night class thing, and and she's got that. It's almost like a John Hughes moment. Yeah, when she's looking outside the window, and the only bit, uh, the only character that we really see still in the in the doldrums is the Colonel, yeah. who's just getting the shit kicked out of him in his cell. Yeah. Um, but everyone else, not that they get what they want, but they're on the right track. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Maurice, who's kind of disappeared from the film. He's opening up his club. <laughs> yes, but they Rodriguez. They spell it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, and then I can't remember who else. Uh, oh, Reed is a magician, but oh is a sexy God. magician. He is so fucking. I mean, this we haven't given John C. Riley enough credit, but that's because I think we we've got films in the locker for. For him yeah. in particular, but his his dexterity when he's like bending and moving is <laughs> fucking brilliant. Like he's just, he's, he's, it is uh, absolutely it's comic gold. Like if you've never seen, uh, is it Dewey? Um, oh, Dewey it? Cox, oh, Dewey Cox, yeah. and you Walt know everyone Cox. loves him from Step Brothers, but, but go back and and, yeah. and watch Dewey Dewey Cox. He's fuck, he's so well, so. Also, funny. also, like anything he does when he's a uh, Doctor Steve Brule. If you want to see how much yeah. this guy commits to the silliest of bits, like the he's such a he's such a good comic yeah. and actually comic and dramatic actor as well. Mm. Because in Magnolia, we're, we're doing a doing him a disservice to say that he's always just um, you know a, a funny comedian. Yeah, he's so so good in Magnolia. So yeah. John C. Riley. That that we'll leave it there, and we'll. He'll, I'm sure he'll have. I kind of feel like uh, that later, that later little blast of him as a as a, a magician with a you know a topless assistant, and it just it feels like a template for uh, Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Like I want to see that film. Yeah. Like what happened to Reed <laughs> yeah. going forward? I think I think we're I and think then you and then we come to the. The circle is complete yeah. with the music, and you know we see the Bucks installing the hi-fi. He's got the uh... everything's joyful now. Mm. You know they they've had a child. Jesse's painting. Everyone, the family is now complete. It's bittersweet, joyful. We've, se- we've yeah, seen... there, there is a, there is some bittersweetness in there. You know, you see little Bill's painting. Yeah, but also we've as know. a reminder, I guess. I think now that the the we've seen, you know, Jack's not a benevolent presence anymore i think that that sequence in the limo between him and roller girl it's like it's you know it's all just a bit tarnished but they're all just gonna have to make do because family is family they're better together and that's the whole theme of the film isn't it in some guys 
whether it be ordinary, biological, you need family. Yeah. Family doesn't necessarily mean mother, father in the traditional sense. It is that these people come together and they form a unit and together they they can they can tackle the challenges in their life, you know. Because he's he's quite asexual, Jack. Like we see yeah, him with uh, with with Amber, but and they are playing matriarch and patriarch. But actually, we never see them. They're together, but we don't see them kiss no. or. You see very little physical it's... affection between them. Like yeah, just... so, so it's this. It is this strange, strange pseudo family that they've yeah. constructed, but. But that's it. Uh, oh, and then we have our raging ball tip to the hat, yep. and we finally get to see <laughs> the big, the big, <laughs> the big show. Um, Mark Wahlberg doing essentially raging ball doing on the waterfront. Yeah. Um, where he's. <laughs> I think that was like he's just going through his life. I think that was um, what what you said like uh, uh, last week, uh, last time out when you announced that you were gonna you were going to shoot this film. The first line that came into my head was, you know, I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a big, bright, shining star. It was. It was the first thing that came out of your mouth. And then we see it. He he, he does deliver on the uh, on the prosthetic rubber 13-inch yep. cock. And it's absolutely hysterical. <laughs> it's, that's how it ends. And um, well, I was, I was going to say, I'm intrigued to, to find out. I think um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask, I may know the answer to this already based on the previous several hours of discussion, but um, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Did you, uh, uh, do you, do you think you wasted your time? Do you think that you would uh, recommend this film to people? Are there any caveats you'd put on that recommendation? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting one with the caveats. Uh, no, I definitely didn't waste my time. Um, this was really was a seminal film. Uh, for the reasons that we discussed at the beginning. So I'm not going to go yep. through that again. Would I recommend this? 100%. If you've never seen Boogie Nights, go out this weekend and, and watch this film. It's, I think it still holds up. Uh, I think there's so much to go at. And, and what we discussed before about the initial plot of like, it's about someone, rise and fall story on the backdrop of the 70s porn industry. Um, doesn't sound like something that most people would want to yeah. get into, but just give this film a chance. Uh, if you're into filmmaking and you've never seen this, what are you doing? Uh, you 100% need to watch this film because there are technical aspects that are just mind-blowing, especially considering P.T. Anderson's age. And and this is, uh, of all his catalogue of, of, uh, of work, I would suggest that this is probably his most accessible. Certainly for an hour and a half. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree on that. Taken from this podcast and actually had never seen it. One I don't know how you can listen to us for a couple of hours and and have not seen the film. But um but yeah, if you're thinking about maybe watching a PT Anderson film, this is probably a good a good one to start with. So, yes, 100% recommend this one. Uh and so much more deeper themes than just someone with a big 13-inch cock. What about you, Devlin? Yep. Echoed sentiments. Uh, I would love to be able to uh, be a contrarian and and be a bit of a dick about it and say that nah, it's 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 not all that. But yeah, this film was was the same for me. Um, as I said, I I kind of came back to Boogie Nights after having seen M Magnolia. Um, but when we discussed like 
Paul Thomas Anderson in the context of the the kind of contemporaries that that he came up with and the people that were around. I would say that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has always been the one that I've liked the most, and I think I like him the most because, especially in these early films, like you were saying, as his filmmaking has progressed and as he's become more um, experimental and he started pushing the form out more, you don't get as visceral a reaction. And again, as you said, this is the most accessible film of his, and it's the most accessible film because it's got that emotional raw nerve to it. It's very, it's very generous with its feelings, so it brings you in, and and it is, it's it's technically exceptional for for somebody so inexperienced. So yeah. I, I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I, I guess probably more usefully, we should we should tell people that if you've seen it and you haven't seen it in a couple of years, go back and watch it again. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great watch. Right then, Devlin, it's come to that time in the episode. What is your next pick for the throwback series? I'm very excited because we yes. are in the month of Halloween, so I'm expecting a horror film. And if you don't deliver, I will be disappointed. Well, I mean, I was, uh, I was, I was rolling this one around, much like some kind of uh, superannuated sports coach who sometimes likes to second guess, you know, try and uh, uh, try and throw off, throw you off the scent. I was thinking about just picking something absolutely ridiculous and completely non-horror themed. Um, like exactly. And and why why would why would I deny myself the fact that this is clearly my favourite time of year? So uh, no, I'm just going to lean straight into it, and I'm going to choose Halloween Three, Season of the Witch. You know what? I'm excited because seen it? Um, I think I, I've seen it once. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, and I was young. It was it was that it was the moment when slasher films. And just th- that type of horror film, and Halloween three is definitely not that. But yeah, the the Halloween series, the Friday the Thirteenth series, uh, the fr- uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. series, I was I was big into them during my sort of mid teens. Yep. Uh, so yes, I've seen Halloween three, but I remember being bitterly bitterly disappointed. Now so, this is um, fun. This I'll be interested be, as, a, be a uh, as a as a as a thirty two year old man. Can can something change over time i'm sure it can so i'm, I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting it because i genuinely can't remember much other than the uh the theme track or the song at the end uh-huh yeah yeah, uh, yeah 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 i'm on the right you tracks are. aren't i you so, are i'm well I, no, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that so, yeah it's it's gonna be a fun one probably i might i don't want to preempt anything obviously i might assume it's going to be a little bit less uh, intellectually masturbatory than this week so thank you very much for listening Uh, we very much appreciate it and I will see you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast it's uh, Gally signing Um, out should I leave you with a poem please do Devlin okay I love you you love me going down to the sugar tree We'll go down to the sugar tree and see lots of bees playing, playing, but the bees won't sting.
because you love me. That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for listening, guys. I committed that to memory, by the way. <laughs> you did. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Rhyming couplets as well. Fantastic. Hi, everyone. I've got a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed the podcast, could you rate and review the episode on whatever platform you're listening to it on? For more information about the podcast, check out rewindmoviecast.com. Also, find us on Twitter and Instagram and let us know your thoughts about each episode. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.